Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's a very weary Sam Bruce and Christy Doran uh, joined, uh, joining for the pod this week, of course, uh, after um, quite an incredible night of, of Ashes cricket. Uh, I think it was the best part of two o'clock before I hit the sack. Christy, I don't know what it was like for you, but um, one of those great days of working in sports media, isn't it? When you've got such a big story, such a talking point, as was the Bearstow dismissal. I'm sure people who uh, appreciate or enjoy this pod have, have got an interest in cricket as well. Um, just a, an amazing few hours at Lords, and uh, we're going to hear plenty more about it. And hasn't it just um, lit the fire under this series even more? Uh, Christy, g'day to you, mate. Before we we get going, um, special guest this week and a really big injection because it's Springboks week. Here to talk a bit of South African rugby, uh, the editor of IOL Sport Live in South Africa, and an old colleague of mine from a couple of years ago, oh, probably more than that, Johnny. Uh, going back now, John Goliath, mate, welcome back to the pod. Uh, thank you, Brucey. Uh, it's always a pleasure to see you guys and uh, to be part of the ESPN rugby pod. It's always fantastic to be back with the with the guys. Good man, good man, Christy. I mean, I know you've been writing a bit of cricket, so and I know you've been copying a bit on social media as well uh, over the past 24 hours. Just give us your take. Uh, there's been many, many takes out there in the world, but um, hit us with yours uh, for those who might not have read it or heard it. You, you, I don't think you've made it unless you cop it, right? Like that's just a part and parcel of the Twitter sphere and the world that we live in. But, oh, look, it's it's one of those great controversies that only really sport brings up and we saw it last year I think with uh in in the Wallabies All Blacks game you know a really controversial moment which splits the fence uh uh, splits everyone down the fence there between you know do they agree with what happened uh technically it's correct the laws are there but do you play inside the laws but technically we know that Johnny Bairstow is out like the, the law is pretty clear and obvious there but I just think in the the spirit of the game, in the spirit of the context, the spirit of that moment, look, he's he's not seeking advantage. He's not slipped over. He's not lost his balance. He's marked his he's uh, just inside the back crease. The end of the over. He's probably going to go do some gardening and talk to his mate in between the overs. I just think there was an opportunity for Pat Cummins and the Aussie cricket side just to go. You know what? You're out. We're going to win this in a way that in a method that everyone can celebrate because we don't like these controversial moments where there's a somewhat of an asterisk. And I think Australia would have won regardless. You know, Ben Stoke doesn't blazon a century, uh, ignite the crowd, the scenes at Lords, extraordinary kind of scenes. But we don't see that, I don't think, unless that moment happens there. It's it's a it's a great moment in cricketing history. But I think that in 10 years' time, I wonder whether or not Pat Cummins reflects like Brendan McCullum reflected 10 years after he did a somewhat similar, though different, but decision to run out in the time you're a Litherin back in 2006 and later on reflected that, you know what, Probably shouldn't have done it. It was, wasn't in the spirit of the game. And perhaps if the the Mitchell Stark catch controversy, which I agree, um, I must. Oh, sorry. First of all, I I didn't know that's how the law was written. But once I, I read that and I saw that posted out there, and I was like, well, you know what? Absolutely, that's that's not out. I wonder if that hadn't gone down, whether we've seen this situation on day five, whether you know the Aussies might then have called him back under a, a spirit of cricket. Um, you know, uh, caveat if you like. Um, but as a keeper myself, formally, um, I'd have to say I would have done the same thing as as Alex Carey. I mean, at no stage does Johnny Bairstow turn around to see where that ball's gone. Uh, he, as you said, he scratches the ground and mark his crease and walks off. I mean, what kind of keeper number one as he is as a yeah. batsman doesn't well, turn around he, and just check what's happening? I I couldn't believe it. He's barely a he's barely a keeper. I think that's been firmly established in these couple of test matches to date. But we can't talk about it for too long. It, it was a doozy. It was a, a a clumsy, idiotic thing to do. But I think at the end of the day, um, we don't like test matches or any form of international game being decided on moments that really, like, let's be honest. Uh, it wasn't a, an amazing delivery or catch. It was a freakish bit of skill there from Alex Carey to do it um, and pull it off. But I just think a warning would have been great. Anyway. Well, to, uh... 
be fair to Alex Carey though, uh, Johnny Bairstow tried it himself earlier he in did. the match. Excellent point, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, whether or not whether or not he would have carried through with the appeal and and indeed the English side, you don't know. They're hypotheticals. There's a lot of hypotheticals in sport, aren't there? Semantics, we, we could go on all day. But um, anyway, time to talk a bit of rugby. And, and Johnny, mate, um, I know how excited rugby fans are down uh, here in Australia, um, given what's gone on in the game here in the past six months. Uh, of course, the return of Eddie Jones. Can you set this first test, this first rugby championship test up in Pretoria for us from a from a South African perspective? I guess we kind of feel a little bit removed from it down here now since the departure of South Africa's teams from Super Rugby. Thank goodness the Rugby Championship is still alive in its form as we know it. But um, what's the build-up been like there, mate, where you are in Cape Town? And, and I guess, um, yeah, what's the feeling in South African rugby right now? Um, Bruce, it's, uh, it feels like a bit of deja vu from 2019. Um, as we're going into the shortened version of the rugby championship where uh, it looks like the box or they are definitely going to take two separate teams um, to uh, one to play Australia and then on the same day another team will travel down uh, down under to play the All Blacks. So um, it happened in 2019 um, and it worked the charm as uh, you know that box side beat Australia quite comfortably. Um, and then went to draw against the All Blacks yep. down under, which I think was a fabulous result at the time because the All Blacks were obviously in the Springboks' group in the previous World Cup. Uh, Springboks went on to lose that game, but they went on to win the World Cup. So I think it's basically they're looking at the same, basically trying to uh, get the result down under. Uh, for some reason, I think playing the All Blacks there, they feel like if uh, the whole country... Um, if the box gets get some sort of result, there is a massive boost for the whole country. Uh, but I would be quite wary of Australia this year. Um, and, and I think with Eddie Jones back, and uh, they've got a few big guys back um, who's, who's been playing overseas as well. And I think I'll be quite wary of that. And I think Eddie Jones will also take it quite personally. You know, uh, the spring box sending a, a so-called maybe an A-team uh, to play New Zealand and then playing a, a, a fringe squad, uh, not really a fringe squad. I think there will be a lot of first choice box there. I think the likes of, uh, we'll see uh, the front row featured uh, or, or basically three quarters of the front row featured against the All Black again, in the World Cup final will probably be playing against Australia. So uh, there will still be a strong team, but I think it's probably going to, going to be a, a sort of a B team running out and then with the All Blacks uh, facing the A-team um, next week. Uh, t- tell us what the reaction was, I guess, to, to Eddie Jones' return to Australia from a South African perspective. We know he's got that great history with with Jake White from 2007. Uh, he was signed, of course, to coach the Stormers there after the 2015 World Cup until England came calling. And we, we know the success he went on to have with them before it all clearly fell apart. Um so yeah, I assume he's quite well liked, quite um, you know recognised for the party played alongside Jake White back in in two thousand and seven. Is there a fear that this might you know light something under this Australian team? Is that what South Africans are thinking about this Wallabies group under Eddie Jones? I think I think um, everybody in South Africa realizes that um, the Wallabies with Eddie Jones at the helm is a different beast. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we've got a lot of respect for Eddie. Um, I would have liked to, I would have liked him to see one season at the Stormers, but he was only here for a couple of months enjoying the sushi, um, and, and the beach before he left for England. So I would have loved to see what he would have done with the Stormers. Um, he's got, uh, he's very much respected. Um, and I think people also enjoy the mind games and the banter that he brings. Um, he's, he's, he's not too different from Razi Rasmus. Um, in, in that sort of regard, and uh, we, you know, we love to hate Eddie, uh, be sort of a pantomime villain also, and I, th- and I think he will bring a lot to Australia, but also to the rugby championship. Um, I, I think Australia last, last year um, and a couple of years ago, they maybe had a couple of chances where you would think that um, if, you know, there was a bounce in the ball that went their way, a refereeing decision, yeah, they, 
you know, they could have they could have sneaked a couple of big results, especially against the All Blacks. Um, and now I think with any there that they might maybe be able to take that next step um, and, and, and maybe even win the Bledisloe Cup back again. So, yeah, I think any, any um, definitely he makes the Wallabies a different beast. Christy, um, obviously you and I have been talking and looking forward to this this game now for a few weeks. Um, the Wallabies spent the last week um, up in up on the Gold Coast uh, in Queensland before departing. Of course, I think they left Friday morning, got in Saturday. Uh, Quade Cooper tweeted, very happy to be back uh, in the Republic. We know he loves it over there. Had a couple of great wins with the Reds from memory, maybe in Cape Town or, or certainly one in that year when they when they lifted the title. Um what are you expecting from this Wallaby squad in, in terms of personnel first up? Um, are you bold enough to predict a, a starting 15 for us? <laughs> oh, look, it's funny that you mentioned Quade Cooper and potentially victories uh, that have had in, in South Africa. I was talking to James Hall last week and he was talking about the post-traumatic stress that he copped after that 92-3 battering in 2007 at, in, in, in Pretoria which, of course, uh, Eddie Jones was, was the coach and left pretty shortly after. Um, I, in, in regards to a team, I don't know if it's been uh, told yet to the team, and I don't think that they have. They'll probably find out on Monday. Um, we're recording this Monday evening, Australian Eastern, but you're just waking up in, in South Africa at the moment. I think they'll find out over the next day because typically Eddie Jones works his squad really hard on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday day off Thursday a lot of the time, which is different to a lot of other um, international setups that might work hard on a Tuesday and have a rest on a Wednesday. I get the feeling like momentum will be crucial. And I spoke to Jake White a couple of weeks back about momentum and about what how important it is. And he, he thought both South Africa and Australia would want to win this, get out of the blocks quickly because it, it, it's the World Cups that there before you know it. And for that reason, I, I can't imagine Eddie Jones experimenting too much in the arms and in the centres. I, I think they're crucial positions. So I would think that that Quade and Nick White are at 9 and 10. Uh, you know, he's been talking and they were training like that. And a lot of the players, from my understanding, think that there's going to be a 6-2 split on the bench. Whether or not that occurs remains to be seen often you know people might have and a lot of the fringe players or the newcomers had a lot of time in the starting positions last week at training whether or not that's just Eddie Jones allowing people like a Carter Gordon for instance to have a bit of a crack at 10 to show what he can do with good players around him it's quite possible uh, but I, the other thing is Angus Bell like why is Angus Bell there because he was ruled out of it and then all of a sudden he's on the plane to me he, Taniela Tupo, um, Eddie Jones has been saying, you've got to be ready for the Springboks, Taniela. I know it would be a huge risk, and it sounds crazy even suggesting that they make their comeback games there for this test, but is Eddie preparing to go, no, we need to take down this box side and make a statement? Otherwise, all these words of mind shifts changes, what do they mean? What, what's he been talking about for five, six months? That's the risk you run if you have too much inexperience and you get well beaten this weekend. Johnny, um, you mentioned before we come to a, a, some South African, some Springboks personnel, there's a few guys in this Wallabies team who are back now that perhaps give South Africans the, a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. Uh, are you referring to Quade Cooper? Is it Samu Karevi? Uh, we know what um, Marika Korobetti did with that tackle in Adelaide last year. We know a lot of South Africans didn't exactly agree that that was um, in the uh, within the laws of, of the game. Uh, is it Taniela Tupu up front coming back from an injury? Who are the guys do you think that South Africans look at in this Wallabies team and genuinely think, yep, he's world-class? I think all of those guys you mentioned, um, I mean, Taniela Tupu, he had a stormer last year against the Springbok in one of the tests. And I, and I think that's what all those, most of those guys you mentioned, Bring the physicality. Um, and they are big guys, big runners. And, and when you play the box, that is what you need um, to try and match them physically because we all know they've got uh, levels to physicality. We all, um, and, and when they decide to turn it on and, uh, and you can't uh, handle the heat. And, and we've seen in the past, one of these teams coming to South Africa, 
um, especially when they play at the high top. It's quite difficult when um, if you um, uh, can see penalties to, to the box and you give them field position because of scrum penalties and, and you know, infringing while defending more. And I think Australia has done well, at, um, especially last year in the, I think it was the first test you were referring to where they actually did well in the, with their own ball um, and in the scrums as well. So if you can match the box, they've always got a chance to beat them, even on the IFL. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know, is, is Will Skelton available? Um, that's a guy I fear most <laughs> at the moment, to be honest. He's an absolute monster. And probably one of the guys at the moment in world rugby in the second row can compete with uh, a, a beast like Ibn Etzebeth. So I think, you know, um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, those guys bring the physicality. And then you've got Quaid, obviously, uh, a menace. I remember Quaid uh, kicking a few uh, late penalties to beat the box in South Africa. So he, and the, his creativity as well, and he's, uh, the, he's, he's also got this potent kicking weapon as well. Um, he's kick passing, he's passing, and, uh, and with Nick White on his, on his inside, also a bloke that South African fans don't really enjoy. <laughs> uh, he's also got a, a fantastic kick on him um, in terms of at the base of the scrum and uh, and his box is also fantastic and with those big guys at the back chasing um i think the wallabies you know they are one of the dark horses for me in uh, in the world cup here can you believe that australia and the wallabies have, have overlooked will skelton take the ghetto law aside for a moment particularly in these last few oh. years when they have had the ability to bring him back and we saw it on spring tours and it's something Christy and I basically brought up both of the last spring tours that we're, we're not learning anything about Will Skelton by running in for 15 or 20 minutes off the bench. You, you see him week in or have seen him week in, week out in, uh, in Europe, uh, in, in the top 14 because of the better time zone, of course. Um, can you believe that they've overlooked him for this long? No, it's, it's, he's an unbelievable player. He's a freak of nature. And, uh, and, and I think if, we, uh, if you can get his fitness right, he'll probably be one of the best rugby players in the world because of what he brings with his hard running, uh, his, his tackling is fierce, and, and the way he competes at the breakdown also. I mean, if you can get a, a good 60, 65 minutes out of him uh, at the start of the game, and you'll definitely be able to lay a platform there for, for your skillful backs to, to have a go. Um, and, I, and I think he's going to be key. If they can keep him fit and, and, and take him to the World Cup, he is going to be a big player. Brucey, I'll, I'll definitely be starting Will Skelton this weekend, and I think he will. Like, Will Skelton's been brought back. Richie Arnold, I think that combination is... Like, that, that's a nice combination. You've got someone who might have slightly better work grade or a bit, little bit taller grade in the line out, which an Arnold is. And then you've got a skeleton who's that man mountain and he's just going to be great on that tight head side of the scrum. So it, it seems a no brainer to me for those two to start. Maybe skeleton comes off after 45, 50 minutes and you bring on a, another lock, like a, a Nick Frost, who's going to finish the game strong. And uh, we know he's got plenty of pace. So that's going to be interesting that, that, um, you know, the, the set-piece battle, of course, but the line-out battle, uh, the fact that the Springboks are looking to rest a couple, even like Annette Beth might not be there this weekend. So uh, if that's the case, then, then a skeleton who's so big and so powerful, wow, like that's a, it's a huge weapon. And Christy, John touched on it there before around how, you know, key physicality is against the Springboks. You know, it's I'm not no one's winning any, uh, uh, bloody Nobel Peace Prizes for for bringing you that bit of information that we we saw it last year how the Wallabies turned up at least for probably 50, 60 minutes in Adelaide. The Springboks really got a roll on the back of that test, carried that into Sydney, which was supposed to be a bit of a, a historic night for not only Australian rugby, but for kind of Australian sport, the first international game at the rebuilt Sydney football stadium. And they were just absolutely just overpowered, weren't they? And, and taken out of the game within probably half an hour. It was the worst first half of rugby I've ever seen the Wallabies offer up. The fact that it was uh, supposed to be the unveiling of the Wallabies, like one of their new homes, first time at the Sydney Football Stadium for an Australian rugby side. Um, we know that the Rabbitohs and Roosters had earlier played to, to unveil it, but... This was supposed to be a grand entry and they didn't show up. 
they didn't. And passes were dropped. They were beaten at the set piece. The more didn't fire. Um, it was. Uh, it showed the importance of being in the right mindset because a week earlier they were, and then they they fell away as you said in that last ten minutes in Adelaide. Uh, and then a week later in Sydney, they just didn't show up and they were always on the back foot that entire evening. Johnny, um, Springboks have had a little bit of uh, injury trouble themselves, uh, particularly, obviously, Sia Khaleesi has been, been out for some time now and, and we think he's going to get to the World Cup. I think everyone around the world is hoping that he does. Uh, purely, you know, he's a wonderful player and, and just a wonderful ambassador for your country. Um but what about at fly half where we've got a little bit of uncertainty around Andre Pollard, uh, Damien Willemser, I think is going to be fit, but can you tell us a little bit about Marnie Libok? Yeah, Marnie, Marnie Libok has been, uh, before he uh, arrived at the Stormers, um, so two years ago, he was, he was touted as a, as a, as a great schoolboy talent. Uh, then he went to the Bulls, uh, played um, in the 20, uh, went to the Bulls, didn't really get a, a, a shot there because I, I don't think the, the rugby they play in Pretoria was sort of conducive to his game. Then he went to the Sharks. Um, also struggled there for game time, switched in between fly up and, and 15. Um, and then he came to the Stormers. And that's when I think um, you know, the Stormers' coach John Dobson um, also realized that uh, they went back to the traditional sort of Stormers rugby in the sort of late 90s early 2000s, uh, moving away from what sort of Alistair Katsia and Rassi Rastus of um, hard tackling, um, mauling, mauling type team. And then they, you know, started to play in the, play in the situation with Mani Limbaugh at Flyoff, uh, basically giving, given license to express himself. And he, and he is a wonderful talent. He's a, he's a, he's a great runner of Flyoff, a bit of a, uh, I, I think a younger Quake Cooper. Um, uh, with with running the ball in two ends, his distribution is good. He's got a great kick pass, um, so he is a fabulous player. I think the only uh, the there's there's like the only concern around him is that he he makes the odd mistake, uh, which we saw in the in the URC final uh, when he kicked the when he basically kicked the ball straight down Manchester Street and then they when he when he had time to kick it into touch. Um, and then Munster scored and then basically won the final. And his goal kicking sometimes is erratic. One day he can be a 100% goal kicker, and then the next he can sort of average on the like the 40 to 50% mark, which we know as a South African fly of Springbok fly, that's very important because that's if you can't build scoreboard pressure uh, with the Springboks um, and the forwards getting you these scrum penalties, these more penalties, field position. To, to get those three points from. If the Springboks can't do that, uh, then you know, they, they have to reluctantly go to a plan B, um, which, is, which is maybe kicking, kicking uh, uh, taking chances to score a lot more than they would generally would. So, uh, but Mali Lubbock, I think he showed though in a, in a couple of games uh, this season that he can be a reliable kicker. He can be a guy with a, a, a cool head. It's just about him just... Um, giving the license to to maybe express himself and play his game because he's a lot different from Andre Pollard, as we know. Andre Pollard likes to take the ball flat, uh, take it in himself. He's, he's a guy with a big boot as well. Marty Limbaugh a bit different. He also takes the ball flat, but he brings other people into the game. Uh, like we saw with, with him, I think he's a great partnership when uh, Damien Willemsen was an inside centre during the championship run two years ago. And they had Wari Kalant at the back, and all those guys were playmakers. So, uh, Mani Labok is a genuine playmaker. It's just a concern about the odd mistake, um, and and maybe you know a cloud of his goal kicking. But generally, I think he's a very good player. And given time in the Springbok jersey, I think he could succeed. There's a bit of a discussion here at the moment around whether Australia can take can afford to take three fly halves to to France later in the year, and probably the, the common consensus is they can't. They need that utility guy who perhaps it's a Reese Hodge. We don't think it's going to be a Ben Donaldson, but he's on the plane and he's over there in South Africa. Um, how do you see that picture at ten, and how serious is I guess his succession of injuries for Andre Pollard because he's missed a lot of footy in the last couple of years, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. 
Um, I think they are they are blessed though with uh, Damian Willem. So the fact that he can play 10, 12 as well as 15, he can even slot him in the wing if you wanted to. Is is that good of a player? Uh, there will be no France stain, I think, this uh, uh, going into the World Cup for the box. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people wanted to see France one last one last time kicking a 60 meter <laughs> field goal to well, win the Australians World Cup didn't, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't think Franz Taylor is going to make it. He's also been struggling with injuries and he's been doing a lot of punditry. Um, and he's been, and you can see he's been getting big. So I, I, I basically think he'll probably retire one of the one of these days. So uh, that leaves, you know, Damien Willemse with Marnie Libok and, and then Elton Yankees. Elton Yankees is back after all these off-the-field troubles. He's, uh, he's uh, apparently played really well in uh, the second division of French rugby. Um, I think there's a, there's a rumors that he may even start against the All Blacks um, when uh, when the, the so-called uh, AOB team, whoever it is, if, when they fly on Saturday, are down under. That. So Elton Yankees, he's a guy with a lot of experience. And we tend to forget that he actually beat the All Blacks um, when he came on uh, scoring a magnificent drop goal and also creating a few opportunities for the box. To, to beat the All Blacks uh, um, last year, at, uh, no, that was a couple of years ago in Australia. So he's a guy that knows how to beat the All Blacks um, and a, a guy with a lot of experience. But if he can get over his off the field dramas and, and concentrate on his on the on footy, I think he um, is another guy that they will probably take to the World Cup. So I think um, you probably can't take um, all three of Mani Lebok, um, Yalton Yankees. Andre Pollard and Damien Willem, so that that will be overkill. So um, I think it's going to be a shootout between Mali and and, and the Alton Yankees for for that second flyer spot. Christy, um, same question to John uh, from earlier. Roles reversed. Uh, who's the player that puts the the heavy jeebies uh, into the Wallabies, and why is it even Etzebeth? Oh, look, we just know that those eyes. Look how scary is the bloke. I, I'm glad that I'm not confronting him anywhere near a field and just in a, in a press box when there's generally a few microphones behind him. Oh, look, he, he's, he's the bloke, I think, generally speaking. He's the, the guy that, um, that sparks that, that, that fear in oppositions and how hard he hits, but also how clinical he is. He just, he, he's not quite a Sam Whitelock player, but he's got that dependability about him, uh, the, the shortness of that when Eben's on there, the spring box go well. Look, oh, how and where Malcolm Marks fits into it. He's a guy that's just a pest at the breakdown and that's his, I think, strongest suit. Yeah, great work, great, pretty good ball carrier. Average probably throw, but what he does at the breakdown just disrupts the Wallabies and consistently oppositions all across the world. And and if you look at Australia and their shortcomings over the last probably five, six, seven years, a lot of it comes down to a really poor attacking breakdown and not being able to secure their own ball. So he's the other guy that I'd probably circle in there. Um, but, you know, Andre Etzehausen is being spoken about as a possible guy that might feature. Does he come in at an inside centre? He'll give them go forward. Hasn't had a huge amount of um, experience and opportunity in recent years, but we know what he's done up in the north when he helped win Harlequins a title power runner, ball runner, um, that battle between him and Asamu Karevi, if indeed Karevi's fit, that's a that's a really exciting matchup. Johnny, does a fit again, Cheslin Colby, and great to see him back playing again. I know there's a little bit of drama to finish the season with Toulon, and he's now on his way to Japan, I think it is. Um, not the greatest exit there, but we kind of come to expect that every now and again from, from French rugby and their oh. enigmatic owners, particularly in the South. Um hmm. But will he go straight back into this team or is the quality of the guys like uh, Aaron C and also um, Kane and Moody who scored that f- just brilliant try in Sydney against the Wallabies last year, are they the front runners there? I, I think Chesley will always start uh, for the Springboks. I think his, his place is cemented. Um, I think we saw last season also, especially on the end of year, with the emergence of, a, of Aaron C. He is a fantastic player. He's actually from my part of the world, the Paul wine country um, in South Africa. But he is a fantastic footballer. And 
similar to Tesla Colby, um, a guy that if you give him half a chance, he will you uh, he will beat you on your left shoulder, your right shoulder, um, and you're for a little guy also as with Tesla as well, very brave, but also tackles guys twice his twice his size, so a magnificent player and. Uh, I think you will probably be seeing uh, him vying for the number 11 jersey with a guy like Makizori Mapimpi. I think he would admit that he maybe hasn't had the greatest of uh, of seasons in the URC, but still a quality player. We all know what he possesses. And then Kaelin Moody, uh, what a find that guy. He's also from 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 Paul. Um, and you know, just a, a, also a guy that I think they also see as uh, a weapon in the kick chase because of his uh, his length. We saw that try you mentioned he scored, um, and he's also very good under the eye ball and and the guy who takes his chances. So they're blessed at the moment with um, with quality on the on the wing. Um, fullback, I think we'll see a shootout between Valilaru and Damien Valimso. I think Valimso will probably start most of the Springboks' games as the first choice with Valilaru coming off the bench. Um, as an impact player and also a guy that can can maybe cover fly up if if there's a big crisis or if you have a six two split maybe which the box have preferred but they also pre- but they also have went back of the last uh, couple of test matches to a five three split so it'll be interesting to see what they decide especially against the wallabies who you mentioned might be doing a six two split but the box they always announce the team on a Tuesday so the opposition has got enough time to try and figure out the counter to them uh, before the weekend. Yeah, the box, and I think Wales do that as well. They're always quite early in the week. Uh, I mean, a couple of great wingers from your part of the world. It begs the question, what are you putting in the wine out there? You mentioned it's wine country. Um, what's what's the production line? How is it flowing so well? I mean, it's the grapes. It's all in the grapes, eh? Proper sunshine, yeah. <laughs> because we get the fall is like 40 degrees in in and in summer and then like um it's, this morning it was like four degrees when i got up so yeah it's uh it's uh extremes and we've got extreme talent here yeah i love it i love it um <laughs> christy uh eddie's obviously been talking a lot um since he's been back uh it's been great from a, a marketing perspective a media perspective what you and i do here in australia um has done a lot. He's been on that many lunches and that many panels. And um, of course, it's given us plenty of nuggets to work with in the last few months. Spoken a lot about this is all that matters, this first test up for the year. Um, to start with, anyway, the, the Wallabies creating some history in Pretoria. They've never won there. Why do you think they can do it this weekend? It's a good question. Why now? Because if you look at it, there is actually so many unanswered questions within this Wallaby side. Like who we've just found out who the co-captains are, but you know, there's there's guys coming back from injury, and we've mentioned already the props, but even Quade Cooper, he's barely played this year and he's barely played in a year. So, you know, the fact that he's going to be playing and potentially quite likely playing. And starting in Pretoria, wow, you know, and then the untried and proven guys in the second row. You've got multiple players uh, from the Lenny Cattells of the world to the Nick Frost, who I don't think actually have played in the high belt themselves. So, you know, the fact that Super Rugby and the show is not involved, and sorry, South Africa is not involved in Super Rugby, has meant that these sides have Australian players have, ne- have never gone over that. So you put all that together and you go, how does South, how does Australia stand a chance? But there's the Eddie Jones factor, number one, and that is a big one. He He's a guy that in short terms, um, circumstances, has managed to transform sides quickly, not necessarily by making huge changes across the, the, the team, but minor ones, particularly the mindset, mindset shift. That's a huge one. But I also think South Africa have... You know, they they showed a bit of what they can do last year's spring tour, but if they're putting half their eggs in one basket for next week, I think that's a huge opportunity because we know that the Wallabies, and as you say and rightly point out, Eddie Jones has been talking about history here. This is the moment to grab the bulls by the horn. And if you've got half an eye already on the All Blacks next week, I, I think that leaves you vulnerable. And I think that's what that Eddie Jones will be talking about. Uh, a little bit of the opportunity out there to go out and make a statement. That's that's the big one with against a side that's going to be probably missing 
few players clearly World Cup winners through injury, but but secondly, half a dozen probably already on the plane over to New Zealand. Johnny, do you feel that there's a chance of an upset this week, that this really could be the, the Wallabies' chance, or is it just that ever-confident uh, South African Springboks persona that this is just a fait accompli and we'll see it yet again, uh, a Springboks team down a few stars uh, getting the job done against a, a Wallabies team that, as we mentioned, hasn't won in Pretoria? I don't think the Springboks are underestimating the Wallabies at all. Um, I just think they are sort of, um, they settled on this plan that worked for them in 2019, um, and they're hoping it will work again. I mean, the team that beat Australia in 2019, um, and they beat them quite convincingly, um, mm. many of those guys were in the World Cup squad, but many of those guys weren't really, uh, if I look um, uh, as first choice players. So, but they just stepped up because I think the feeling is also that um, they've uh, they've told the guys, look here, if you can show us you can perform, that is your ticket book uh, for the World Cup. So if you perform, if you perform well against Australia, um, and then you know you enhance your chances. And I think that was the same thing was said about four years ago. Having said that, I think this Australian team is much better though than the one that travelled here four years ago uh, for that for that rugby championship game. And and I think they also. You, you mentioned that Eddie Jones is back, and I think that's also huge, um, not not only for uh, as, a, as, a, as a brilliant tactician and a guy who, with an intimate knowledge of South African rugby, but also as a man manager for, for Australian teams. I, I just think he's got that ability to get the best out of players. Um, and, I, and I think we're going to see that. We're going to see uh, the best of a Quake Cooper, again, uh, the best of a Nick White. Um, because they are saying at loftus and altitude, it's important to, to especially for visiting teams and, and you mentioned guys who's never played there, to manage the game and to know when to speed up the game and, and when to slow it down a bit and when to maybe maybe find, try and find some grass. Uh, we all know the Springboks, but the Springboks love to do. They love to keep the ball into the stand and, and force set-piece games. While the Aussies, they like to keep the ball in hand, maybe find some grass. So it's going to be a apologies. It's going to be a good battle. John, can I just just jump in? We, we always we've heard so much about Eddie Jones recently, um, in the last six seven months. But who's really running the show in South Africa? Is it is it Razi Erasmus, who's the director of rugby, or is it Jack Niemerger, the the head coach of the last almost four years? Who who really runs that show? I think they work together quite well because they've known each other since their days in the army <laughs> 20, 30 years ago. Um, so they are very good friends and um, I think they work together well. I think you still see um, a Brassi's big end in the, in the Springboks' preparations. And uh, and I don't think it's not that he doesn't trust um, Jacques Nina, but he obviously appointed him as, as coach of the team. But I think it's because of his... Uh, that is his Rassi. Um, the Springboks are his baby, yeah. and and also South African rugby knows that they are. Um, that is the biggest cash cow, the Springboks. So I think that's why Rassi has a big influence on the team. Um, I think he's also got a lot of say in, in in terms of the planning and preparation. But we can't underestimate that Jacques. Um, that what Jacques has also brought to the brought to the team in terms of putting maybe his stamp on the team. We all know he's a brilliant defense coach. Um, and we we saw that we've seen how the Springboks' defense has evolved over the since 2018 from a, you know a passive defensive system to maybe uh, the complete polar opposite uh, a, a rush defense and uh, and and very aggressive in that nature. So um, I, I think uh, they work together well, uh, but Rassi obviously still has a big end in, in what happens in behind the scenes at the box. Okay, boys, we better get some tips then. Uh, put your necks on the line. John, to you first. Uh, who wins and by how many? Wow. This is uh, normally I would, uh, you know, Springboks Wallabies at Loftus. It's a no brainer for me normally, but. I think it's going to be a lot tighter depending on who the Springboks push onto the field. Um, 
I still fancy them, but I think it's I think there's only going to be about five points in it. Uh, the Springboks uh, getting it by five. Christy. Oh, look, it's crazy to be doing this on a Monday when you've got no idea who's going to be running out. But I'll go South Africa, I think, by by a couple of penalties. I think discipline is going to be crucial and who wins that scrum battle particularly. I think the line-out will sort itself out, but the scrum's going to be so, so vital. Yeah, you mentioned discipline and the attacking breakdown as well, uh, the two big ones for me this week for the Wallabies. And I also think it'll be tight. I think maybe Springboks by three uh and aren't there johnny are there a few tell me um, a few south africans interested in how the johnny sexton situation is going to play out over the next few months given what happened with rassi uh and his uh suspensions for referee criticisms it's all kind of playing out a little bit in the background and some aussies might not be aware of it down here basically johnny sexton um filmed and photographed giving the the refs after the uh, european cup final leinster and la rochelle a bit of a serve uh, yako piper in particular and he has finally uh been charged officially um this is going to be a fascinating little sidebar for the next few weeks or month or so isn't it no it is because we all know how important he is to score island scores at the world cup and i mean our group is going to be probably the most fiercely contested group i think with scotland also in the mix uh, with the box as well as tonga and you and we've seen how tonga has been boosted by a host of former All Blacks and internationals. So uh, that is going to be a massive group. And I think for Ireland, uh, they will know that. I think um, with Johnny Sexton there, it gives them a, an extra 30%, you know, uh, more in terms of quality or, and, and experience and just what he brings to the game. You know, he, he's, he's, he's turning gray now, but he's still a fantastic player as we, as we saw last year when, when they beat New Zealand. Yes, indeed. Uh, keep an eye on that one. Uh, not exactly sure when uh, there's a court hearing. Oh, sorry, the, the hearing, uh, but we'll um, we'll bring it to you when it breaks. Um, okay, boys. Uh, the other big story, uh, I guess, from a, a rugby free weekend, certainly in this part of the world. I think the Curry Cup still up and up and happening in the Republic, mate. Is it, uh, Johnny? Um, was the announcement between the the Six Nations and uh, and Sanzar that this long talked about World League? is going to get off the ground in, in 2026. And I think we know have known this has been coming and we've probably been reasonably clear on the format around these two pools, South and the North, um, being separate from the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship. Uh, Sanzar would in, will invite two nations who we think certainly for starters will be Japan and, and Fiji. Um, starting in 2026, uh, playing every two years outside of World Cup and, and Lions years, um, kind of seen as a, a big step forward for the game in many regards in terms of generating broadcast revenue and bringing some meaning to the July and November test windows, even though, you know, I think a few people, and I'm one of them, quite enjoyed three test series, um, particularly when they went to a live final game. But but Christy, I guess your reaction, mate, to this finally being done, being, well, we feel like it's signed off. World Rugby's, I guess, a partner in some regard, but it's very much a, an alignment between the Six Nations and and Sansa to start with. Um, do you like what you see? And do you think this will bring something, I guess, help rugby kick on to being, uh, you know, I, I guess tackling that final dimension of being really a, an engaging world-class game at the international level year in, year out? Yeah, I think there's there's a few things to say about it. But firstly, the, the idea of every test being meaningful, I think it's probably important. Um, you know, and I think also the fact that in the previous kind of and we see it in cricket as well, that the de- like the, the most powerful and the richest nations typically play each other more. And you, what does that mean for some of the tier two or three sides? Um, how often do you see them? And the fact that England at one point in time didn't play New Zealand for a number of years and hadn't travelled to England in a long, long time. It's great that we're now going to be able to see and everyone's going to be able to understand when a particular side plays who and where and when, and it's not going to be a situation like I've just spoken about. That's a great positive. I like the idea of promotion and relegation. I think that's important because you need to be able to reward sides. The fact that teams like Georgia or nations like Georgia won't be there yet. They've beaten 
Wales recently and they've beaten you know Italy and they've challenged against other sides. Um, similarly, Japan, their deeds at last World Cup, the fact that they I think they beat a Lions side in 2021 before they went down to, to South Africa. Um, it's it's crucial that Japan and, and Pacific sides like Fiji and Samoa get more and more opportunities. So that's the great aspect of it. Uh, you just hope that it does that that you you see sides still play each other uh, in World Cups. You still see the growth right across the world. And I suppose that's one of the, the reasons why this has taken place. Hopefully overall world growth, because you don't just want to see three or four nations continue to dominate and to get, get all the money as well. Johnny, a Georgia, the big losers here from a, from a, I guess not only a six nations perspective, but from this world league, Christy mentioned they've beaten both um, Wales and Italy. Um, certainly Wales and Cardiff as well was a, was a massive result last year. Their under twenties had a, a big win over Argentina 20 nil in, in your part of the world just last week. So they're clearly a nation that isn't just on the outside tier. They're starting to beat some of the, the tier ones and and really, you know, mix it with the the, the premier nations in the game. And, and we feel like this is not going to change, I think, until 2030. So there would be two iterations of this in 26 and 28 where there wouldn't be relegation. And I, and I tend to think then that even probably what's going to happen is that there would almost be a playoff relegation uh, promotion relegation game rather than straight relegation. I, I do wonder whether that will be the the status for that um, or the promotional relegation come that time. Um, it's hard not to feel for for Georgia, right? Yeah, it's hard to feel for them. They actually ran the, the Springbok under 20s really close as well. Um, actually scared them. Um, and, and we've seen Georgia, I think they probably going through maybe um, a purple patch golden generation as far as their rugby, their senior team is concerned. And I would have loved to have seen them actually uh, be part of this competition because in, in 2030, it might be too late or might be, or maybe these other 20s will come through. Um, you never know. So I would have loved to see, to see Georgia maybe uh, get an opportunity. Um, maybe as a, they should maybe have it in um, uh, maybe a playoffs uh, between the likes of Italy and Georgia and the Fijis and the Japans of this world before we go into that tournament proper. Uh, that would have been lovely. But um, I'm just worried that, you know, this whole situation, um, having it every, every having it every two years and then with the World Cup in between, is that it might water down the World Cup itself. Um, because, you know, you'll see um, year in, year out, that was you, every two years, you, you'll have these big teams playing against each other, then again, another two years and playing at the World Cup. So will the World Cup lose a bit of its shine, a bit of its gloss? I think it's still for me the ultimate competition, and not only because the boxer won it a lot, um, and, uh, but because I think that is actually where you get measured, where you play... Um, like uh, for a month, uh, five weeks, you have to be at your best for the whole tournament for five weeks. You have, especially from the quarters onwards, we it's it's uh, it's knockout rugby, and you know the excitement around that. I'm just hoping that uh, it won't water down the World Cup like like maybe, but we've also seen that in terms of the soccer World Cup, uh, getting more teams involved has actually made Qatar. Uh, uh, 2022, one of the best World Cups ever, uh, and we saw a lot of surprises. So it could have the opposite effect as well. That the quality at these tournaments, especially the so-called second-tier teams, um, maybe that they get better and and uh, enhances the quality of the tournament. So uh, it could go both ways, and I'm sincerely hoping it, uh, at the the latter happens. Christy, I, I guess the counter argument to, to the watered down thought um, and shout out to Paul Cully for his column in the, the Herald on Sunday down here yesterday was that um, hopefully it takes us away from this. Oh, it's all about the World Cup. And Eddie Jones was probably the biggest, you know, offender at that with England, wasn't he? Uh, we're building towards the we're building towards the World Cup, mate. You know, this rhetoric that was continually uh, trodden out, particularly in the last year with England, that um and I guess it will actually give, you know, make it a little bit, make the rankings a little bit, not fairer, but perhaps clearer. I think right at the moment, we feel that Ireland and France are the two best teams 
in the world, right? And then it's South Africa and New Zealand and and then the rest. But um, in some other years, maybe behind the All Blacks who were number one for such a long time, that, that jostling for positions, it does give, you know, fans, okay, a bit of boasting, right? My my country was was number one this year and we'll see you at the World Cup. Yeah, look for sure, and 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 Paul's column was was a, was a good one. Yeah, look, I, we won't say it, we won't know it for a while. I just know from a cricket perspective, when you start having T Twenty World Cups every year or every second year with well, um, fifty over World Cups, it becomes a little bit mumbo jumbo. And what's the relevance and the importance? So I, I echo John's uh slight trepidation around whether or not it'll be a great thing hopefully it is but but more importantly i think hopefully everyone shares in that revenue pot because we know that uh the finances of the game are in a precarious state at the moment and hopefully this helps from a broadcast perspective that the pot grows and everyone gets to reap the benefits of it Johnny, where does this leave, I guess, um, South Africa's rumoured um, advances to the Six Nations uh, that we've heard about for the last few years? Um, there was a big Daily Mail story last year. I know the Daily Mail is you know, associated with a fair bit of crap, but it's rugby writers. Uh, Chris Foy are usually um, pretty much on the button. Um, how is it, I, I guess, has this put the, the kibosh on that, do you think, moving forward? Is uh, South Africa, I guess, straight up, are they committed to the rugby championship completely moving forward? And and Christy and I have, have spoken a lot about bringing Japan and Fiji in and making that official. Do you feel like that's also the the sense in, in South Africa that um, the rugby championship needs to go to six teams, uh, five games, first past the post, etc. A bit like the Six Nations, essentially. Um, those two things, mate, is that how you see it? Um, I, th- I think this this new competition is maybe going to postpone um, the boxes move. I, I also think there will definitely be a move to the north, um, a, a full move uh, with, base- with basically then you've got maybe them they're playing uh, three tests, a three test series against the All Blacks um, over the way on and, and different years and Australia as well. Um, and those are actually, I would actually love to see a three-match test series between the Springboks and the All Blacks and, and Springboks and the Wallabies as well, because the Rugby Championship for me is still a fantastic competition, but I think also it needs a bit of spicing up. And and maybe, um, you know, having teams like Japan and Fiji also in the mix, maybe even Tonga, um, if they can have a promotion relegation on their own, that would also be lovely. Uh, but I think this competition is just going to postpone maybe the inevitable. Um, I, I think uh, Sanzo would really love the Springboks to, to to stay in the Southern Hemisphere because the Springboks, let's be honest, that's the cash cow um, as, as as far as TV money is concerned because, I mean, there's about 20 million people who watch a test match on TV when the box players, especially those those big test matches. So um, I think for sure that, that, that they may postpone it. Uh, but I also think that people realize that you know the, the rugby championship maybe needs um, an injection of, uh, of some freshness of, of some kind, whether it's a new teams coming in or, or the format just differs. Um, but yeah, it needs something new. I'll tell you what though, Sam, the, the idea and the prospect of a Fiji hosting Australia or hosting uh, New Zealand. Yes, there might not be 40,000 people in the stands, but I'll tell you what, it will be more competitive than it would have ever been before. So, And it'll sound like there's, a, there's, a, there's 100,000 there of Super Rugby uh, and the Drua home games are anything to go by, right? Exactly. And that, you know, the, the, what we've seen from the last year of, of the Drua hosting is exactly what, what what you want. You want competitive matches and and that's what a hosting matches in the Pacific Islands would would be uh, would be incredible, wouldn't it? Sure would, um, boys. I guess before we we wrap up, we better touch on on the All Blacks and, and Argentina briefly. Uh, that's Mendoza Sunday morning Australian time. I guess it'll be what for you, Johnny? Kind of late Saturday night then. Um, you might be able probably just wrapping up, mate. After a cold beer, a nice castle, you can sit down and. Enjoy that one. 
um, without uh, any vested interest in it. Um, oh, another fascinating match, I think, really, again, isn't it, with um, what we've uh, what's gone on with with Ian Foster and um, a few injuries for the All Blacks to to consider as well. Um, Crusaders doing the job again. It feels like a good place for them to start. I imagine it could be quite a hard, fast deck in Mendoza, which will play well to their strengths. Um, Christy, do you see a comfortable All Blacks victory straight up or perhaps um, another Michael Checker uh, masterpiece from the last couple of years and, and the Pumas can can take it right up to them here? Oh, look, I think New Zealand has the benefit of, of a core group of players coming together that have all been playing. We know that the Argentinians are all scattered across the globe now and uh, including France and England and the rest. So that's going to be difficult to bring them all together um, quickly, but it certainly helps playing at home, doesn't it? The, the big one is how many of those Crusaders guys or the guys with the niggles end up uh, taking the field because Sam Whitelock, for instance, didn't wasn't training last week, almost certainly won't be selected. And Jordan and, and Fying Anuka didn't travel either, did they? Exactly. So a few Crusaders players there who have got X Factor and class written all over them. And it was interesting, the niggly comments from Ian Foster last week. He seemed like he was not particularly thrilled that Whitelock had gone against All Blacks medical advice by saying, well, look at him now, insinuating Whitelock not, who wasn't training. Uh, it was, a, it, and it was it was oddly worded and it was kind of almost a bit spiteful, like that he was, this is a bloke who's got more than a hundred tests, played 300 first class games. And yet you're, 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 you're squabbling over the fact that. What, was like, it, was it, was it a veiled shot at Scott Robertson then, or was it just the disappointment that Whitelock from an all blacks perspective, which is his job to get the all blacks winning had, had chosen, I guess, to, to play what was a clearly a, a match that mattered immensely to him being his final one in a Crusaders Jersey. Um, which side of the coin was it? Oh, look, I think that that you can't really lay blame at Scott Robinson there. If Sam Whitelock says that I'm fit, well, he gets selected. If he says he's not right, I think Razor goes bugger. But you know what? Sweet as thanks for everything you've ever done, you know, and you get on with the job. But there's no doubt that that the Razors and the Crusaders' victory has just turned the screws and the pressure of the dial just slightly higher on Ian Foster now because. We know that the Crusaders won a super rugby comp that they probably shouldn't have won given how many injuries they've had. So there's so much pressure on Ian Foster's All Blacks to start start fast and have a win. And if they don't, wow, there's a lot of pressure a week later with the box who have sent a, a second side over there early to prepare for it. it it'll, it'll, I, I hope from an international perspective of where you can enjoy competitive rivalries i hope that it's a great game and that there's a lot at stake the next week johnny do you feel like the the all blacks will, will get the job done and and how much have south africans enjoyed just a little bit of the chaos in new zealand rugby in the in the last 12 months we are enjoying it a lot eh? i mean um, it's unheard of for an all black coach to be under pressure or to to for his own media to be attacking him um, as they are or as they have been over the last four years. Um, I, I still think they've got enough quality to go over to Argentina um, and do the job. But we have seen Argentina also over the last few years. They, when they play the All Blacks, um, especially those first 20 minutes after they tried, they ball their eyes up during the national anthem. They come out at you hard and they flood the breakdown. Um, and they are in your face. And, and I think if they do that, um, especially with a wounded or black team, they might have another chance um, of, of making history again. Uh, but certainly for us, I think um, an all black team who a lot of people has already written off, I think, um, uh, as far as the World Cup is concerned, with uh, people people looking towards France and Ireland. But I still, you, you can't underestimate the All Blacks because they've got so much quality and just on the day, um, they can click and, and, and they can do the business. Um, it depends, though, if, um, if Fozzie can get that team actually uh, firing because, I mean, it's not a good look at the moment with all the internal squabbling. 
that needs to be the, the Springboks and the Wallabies' issues off the field now. <laughs> but it seems to, uh, that bug seems to be the All Black camp. I won't, I won't lie. I think we've uh, been enjoying it just uh, a little bit as well. Uh, okay, boys, uh, I think that's a, a pretty good wrap for the week. Uh, Johnny, mate, thank you so much for, for bringing a South African perspective for us this week. Fantastic to have you on. Uh, thanks for getting the kids to school and, and joining us. Uh, mate, we'd love to have you back uh, over the coming weeks. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. I would love to be back. And Christy, as always, mate, uh, follow your work at the Raw. Of course, um, plenty uh, to get excited about this week, isn't there? Oh, plenty to Yeah, and the fact that we're talking about New Zealand and Argentina, and that's no disrespect, it's been a bit of an afterthought. Uh, that tells you that, geez, there's some great rugby coming on because we know what's happened with the Ashes and everything else over the last week, but the international season's finally upon us. And uh, finally, that honeymoon period, it's about to be over for Eddie Jones. We're going to see whether or not he can do something about it. So it's a, it's a great week to look forward to. Yeah, can't wait. Uh, full build-up on ESPN.com.au, of course, through the week. Uh, guys, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you all, I guess, post uh, one hell of a weekend of uh, Southern Hemisphere rugby. Cheers.